The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the ninth chapter. The Gospel is printed on the back of your bulletin, or you may follow along on your pew Bibles on page 790. And as he has sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. Our preaching text this morning comes to us from uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, the gospel concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for the sake of his name, including yourselves who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all God's beloved in Rome who are called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed throughout the world. For God, whom I serve with my spirit by announcing the gospel of his Son, is my witness that without ceasing I remember you always in my prayers, asking that by God's will I may somehow at last succeed in coming to you. For I am longing to see you so that I may share with you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, or rather so that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that I have often intended to come to you but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as I have among the rest of the Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, hence my eagerness to proclaim the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. As it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. Word of God, word of life. Grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Paul closes this section of his letter with the words, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. For it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. These words set the stage for the rest of his letter to the Romans. He goes on to talk about how the gospel is not a set of doctrines or a static list of propositions or only a story about what God has done in Jesus Christ. It is a powerful living entity that brings salvation and faith. It begins with what God has done in Jesus Christ. That's where Paul begins this letter, after all. 
But it doesn't end there. From the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we see how God always does what is right and good, and that God is faithful and just to God's promises. And this is also revealed through faith, for faith. But what does that mean? It feels kind of like we're getting into some mental gymnastics here this morning. Well, we confess that we cannot, by our own understanding or strength, believe in Jesus Christ our Lord. But instead, the Holy Spirit has called us through the gospel, enlightened us with her gifts, made us holy, and kept us in the true faith, just as she calls, gathers, enlightens, and makes holy the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one common and true faith. In other words, the Holy Spirit uses this story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to show us where God is active in our lives doing these same things, showing us where God is doing what is right and good and where God is keeping God's promises, and then drawing us into community together with all who believe in Christ to share that amongst ourselves and to share it then with the world. And not only is all of this revealed in the story of Jesus, but it's also revealed when we tell our stories to one another. We are revealing faith so that others might also find faith. And this sharing of stories so that others might come to faith with the help of the Holy Spirit, this is called testimony. Now, we don't use that word very much in the Lutheran Church, but it is an important word. Part of what makes Paul's letters so powerful is that his own story is told in them. We know his story of transformation after an encounter with Christ. And that adds power to the, to the advice and the teaching that he lends in, this, in his letters. And giving testimony really just means telling our stories about what God is up to in our lives, talking about where we have experienced salvation, balm for our souls, a healing, a making right. Author Rachel Held Evans said that there is power in giving testimony of publicly recounting our unique Gospels according to your name here. She says, you can know a person for decades, share a pew with them in church every Sunday without ever knowing their testimonies, without ever asking them, hey, why Christian? We can spend a lifetime singing hymns and reading the Bible without honestly answering that question for ourselves. So I'm taking her up on that invitation. I'm going to give my testimony today because, like Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel and I want you to know why, with all the atrocities past and present committed in God's name, amid all the divisions ripping apart society and the church, in spite of doubt and frustration and fears about faith, I am still a follower of Jesus and why I continue to believe. So, here we go. I was born at 28 weeks gestation, and I weighed 2 pounds, 11 ounces. My mom gave me her journal from that time when I was in the newborn intensive care unit, and what stands out to me from reading it now as an adult is the prayer from one of the days around the time I was baptized. 
They prayed the verses from Romans 14, 7 through 9 over me. We do not live to ourselves and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again so that he might be both Lord of the dead and the living. I can see the words in my mom's handwriting, whether this child lives or dies, Lord, she is yours. And so my faith began on the foundation of my parents' faith. I grew up going to church and Sunday school, and I really liked church. The songs would get stuck in my head, and I would play church at home, gathering up the various junk catalogs and handing them out to my stuffed animals and leading them in the liturgy. It's kind of ridiculous that we were all surprised when I became a pastor later. Um, I liked learning about God and Jesus and the Bible, and I loved to read, and I found the stories in Scripture fascinating to read over and over again. I was so excited for all of my faith milestones, especially my first communion in fifth grade. And this foundation that my parents had set for me long ago at the day of my baptism and carried through my childhood became vital to me during my junior year of high school when my parents sat us down to tell us that they were getting divorced. The weekend that my dad moved out, I was already planning on going on a youth retreat, and I decided to keep those plans instead of staying home. I would leave on Friday after school when my dad still lived with us, and when I returned on Sunday, he didn't. During worship that first night at the youth retreat, I broke down sobbing, and I will never forget how my youth director, Martha, rocked me like I was her own child. She wasn't afraid of the big stuff happening in my life and my family, and she figured out not only how to love me through it, but my whole messy family, because eventually my mom got remarried to a man from my church. And so my dad, my mom, my stepdad, my stepsisters, and I all went to the same church. She never took sides, she just loved us all, and gave us a safe place to land. She is an extremely important person in our family. She loved me and my family like Jesus does, and I am forever grateful for her example. And during this season of my life, I wrestled a lot with my faith. I wondered who I was now that my family was changing, and I found balm for my soul in Jesus. I spent hours driving around listening to Jars of Clay, my favorite Christian music artists. They sang to me about how much God loved me and how God was present in the brokenness and the pain. I turned to the people who felt like Jesus to me, like Martha and others, and they showed me the love of Jesus in the midst of my despair and confusion. I heard about God's love and care for God's children, and I took comfort in God's care for me when my earthly parents were struggling. Now, it feels too easy and not dramatic enough to stop there, or it also kind of feels like I tied it up too neatly, uh, that I simply turned to Jesus and found comfort and everything was a-okay. That's not true. It was often much messier than that as I struggled 
even into my college years with forgiveness and grace for my parents. And then, not only was I dealing with all of that, but I was struggling academically. I had started college thinking I would go to med school and work in that newborn intensive care unit. You know, a full circle kind of journey. Uh, but my math and science grades weren't going to get me into med school. I was convinced that God's call for me was in the medical field. And when I realized that that wasn't going to happen, I didn't know what to do. Not only was I questioning who I was, but what was I going to do? What was God calling me to if I'm not going to be a doctor? Well, now what? Church once again became my refuge. Augustana had a communion service Wednesdays late in the evening, and it was rare that I missed a week. We prayed, we shared the peace, we took communion, and then it was quiet. The sharing of Christ's body and blood and then the quiet reflection healed my heart in that season, was balm for my soul in that season, and gave me the courage to listen again for God's call. A call that led me to seminary, that led me to doing clinical pastoral education in the newborn intensive care unit. That leads me now to be able to be here in this place talking to you. That's why I'm Christian. That's why I'm still a Christian. Because through baptism, I became part of a larger family of faith. I am part of God's family, the body of Christ. And as I eat the bread and drink the wine of communion, I am connected to the body of Christ in a new way, strengthened by the promises that God keeps, so that I might go out and share God's love and the story of Christ with my life. I pray now that as I remember where the gospel has been salved for my hurting soul, it might also propel me to, to be the salve for someone else's hurting soul. I have found a safe place to land in the church, and I want that for everyone. Many of you comment on how much you love the words that I offer at the altar just before communion. No matter the church of your membership, the form of your baptism, wherever you are on the journey with God, there is a place for you at this table because it is God's table. I say those words because I truly mean them. I want to use the power of my position to make it clear no matter what, you are a child of God and you are welcome at God's table. Gay, straight, trans, drunk, sober, addicted, divorced, remarried, single, old, young, middle-aged, Democrat, Republican, Confused, joyful, bowed down by sorrow, confident in faith, questioning everything, healthy, sick, healing, broken, sinful, and forgiven, there is a place for you. At this table, Jesus invites us into a story that is bigger than ourselves, bigger than our culture, bigger than even our imaginations. And at the same time, we get to tell that story with the scandalous particularity of our particular moment and place in time. My story is far from over, and there is so much more to it than I could share in this brief time this morning. So if you want to hear more, I'm always happy to meet for a coffee and trade stories. We are storytelling creatures because we are fashioned in the image of a storytelling God. 
May we never neglect the gift of that. May we never lose our love for telling the tale. May we never be ashamed of how our stories reflect the gospel, the saving love of Christ. Amen.